Hey, you're listening to A Couple of Dusty Muffins. I'm Penny Legate. I'm Julie Blacklow, who still cannot believe the name of our podcast, but <laughs> it's a good it one. makes us laugh. It's memorable. It's a good one. You won't forget it's memorable. A Couple of Dusty Muffins. And this is not, it makes us laugh, by the way, a cooking show. No. Well, depending on, you know, what you're cooking. Miss <laughs> Legate, our producer, Clem, told me that your name was actually Legate. I've only known you as Penny Legate. Clem, Clem's got a big mouth. He's not supposed to be blabbing all that kind of stuff. He finds out. Legate. I'm sure there are much worse things he could tell me, but yes, like Legate. Yes, yes, yes. So, so growing up in the Midwest, you know, there are Legates and then there are Legates and they're in Arkansas and they're in Illinois and, you know, gosh, knows where all our kin are. But anyway, um, my my side of the family, my dad's side of the family, I guess they got lazy, didn't capitalize the G anymore. The name is supposed to be Legate with a capital J. So Legate. And um, <laughs> we became Legates, L-E-G-A-T-E. And so I got tired of Legate and Legato and Legati. So I said to my mom and dad, I'm going to go back to the original name, which is Legate and capitalize my G. Okay. So when I left college mm-hmm. I le- and I started in my profession, I became Legate. You have to admit, it sounds better than Legate. Yeah, it does. Legate. 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 <laughs> You're like kind of giving me a hard time about it, aren't you? Well, I'm just teasing you. Okay. I don't know where my name came from. Blacklow from Russian stock somewhere hundreds of years ago, they, uh, my relatives migrated and it must've been Blacklovitz or something. And that was my, my, my husband's name was Blacklow. Your maiden name was my maiden name was Honick H O N I C K, but they're all Russian Jews who emigrated, but we both ended up here in Seattle. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm married way too young. And my then husband schlepped me to Seattle from Washington, DC. And I was, I was shocked when I got here. A uh, Jewish person. That's me. Transplanted girl. to girl. the far corners of the wilds of uh, Washington State. <laughs> Washington State. Seattle back in 1971 was truly a one horse town yes. for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. having grown up on the East Coast in New York City and D.C. But anyway, we digress. Yes. So we end up here in Seattle, Washington. After working lots uh, of different places, by the way. Well, well, I I was I was only 22 years old, 23 years old. So this was my first gig here. This is my first gig. Oh. I started in television news in Seattle in 1972. Yeah. At the age of 23. I mean, who does that? But I was a woman in the right place at the right time. You kind of a token woman back then. I was a t- absolutely token and we both were entering into an industry and profession where it was completely dominated by men. Right. And especially you, you're a few years ahead of me. You really were a a pioneer and and, and I was too, but not quite on the forefront like you were, but there are very few women in the newsroom when I started in TV news, but let's just talk about what that was like. And, you know, um, because the subject of today's podcast is titled managed by men, managed by men in a man dominated business, a very tough business. And I was one of three women in a room full of 120 men who didn't want us there. It was very difficult. It's always been a, a problem for me from childhood to take orders from anyone. 
I've always. Oh, really? I never sensed that about you, actually. (laughs) Does that come as a surprise to you? No, it does not. No. So here I am walking into a room full of uh, testosterone loaded men. Yeah. And you you got to kick some cojones. I would literally do that one time, but (laughs) it was incredibly intimidating even for someone who considered herself brave and ballsy herself. What was the the atmosphere like? Were you denigrated? Were you given the fluff stories? What was going on then? That's exactly what was going on. We were, they didn't want us there. We were often assigned the PTA school stories, bake sales, the fluff stories, as they were called. And we didn't get anywhere near to the lead stories of the day. Now that would change in time, but in that era in 1972, 73, it was an incredible atmosphere of sexual harassment. That, that root, that word wasn't even in the vernacular. No, 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 not when I started either sexual harassment. No, so nobody knew what we that were, was every single day, something inappropriate would be done. Give me an example. An example. I'd walk into the newsroom and someone would grab my breasts What? or pat or yeah, literally. Actually, one of my mentors, Don McGaffin, would literally, and he was great. He was a great investigative reporter. He saw in me some, someone like himself who was ambitious, aggressive, took no crap from anybody. And so he turned out to be one of my great mentors, but he was a monster when it came to grabbing my breasts or patting me on the behind. And this kind of thing went on daily, every daily. day. And there wasn't even. And what did a, you do? What did well, you- the other two women and I, who were also subjected to these this kind of harassment, that's abuse, denigration, right? And so we decided, and I decided, Bon, I wasn't going to let it get to me. All I wanted was the opportunity to do serious reporting. And so I thought if I complained, to, you're willing. To I was put willing up to with tolerate it. it. I just said, this is it's just my body. I didn't have any recourse. There was no human. There were no human resource departments. There was no one to complain to. There was no one who would really listen. And if you quit, the other women, they win. Well, I, the quitting was never the fact that I got in at all was a remarkable fluke being in the right place. A woman when when television news was just beginning to open up to women. So I decided I would just tolerate it. And some of the men would sometimes walk over to my desk and put one of their legs up on the corner of my desk and literally, you know, shove their um, groin areas uh, in my face. (laughs) Their balls. (laughs) Thank you. So it was it was. Did you say that's all you got? Well, actually, there was an incident (laughs) where a news director who was subsequently fired for sexual harassment uh, some years later called me into his office, sat back in his big leather chair, dropped a pen between his legs and said, could you come get that for me? Oh, Lord. And I and I looked at him and I said, well, that shouldn't be too hard to find, (laughs) you know. So come back. We had to go along with it. Incredibly, our opportunity to change the dynamics uh, of a television newsroom in the early 70s. The opportunity came from a horrendous and unlikely source, Ted Bundy's arrival on the scene. Who, for people who may the, not know, mass murder. Well, mass uh, serial killer who started his horrendous crimes in Seattle. And so the men in the newsroom did not want to cover this story. They didn't want to interview the families of these victims. But the other woman, Robin Groth, and I decided we could do okay, it. Okay, no, wait. I just want to understand the men didn't want to have the intestinal fortitude to talk with victims' families, or they... 
That's a good question. I never, I never looking back on it now it was a long time ago, but I recall they said, let the girls do it. Ooh. Somehow talking to the families, they could cover the facts of the story, but going deeper into the legacy of, you know, these families dealing with this horrible reality, they didn't want to do that. And so we took advantage of that opening and it earned us the respect of the men in the newsroom and things began to change. But I have to say, we're all male news directors. I never worked with a female news director. And women can be, you know, tough as hell, too. Sure. They can be awful, too. But to be uh, managed by a series of maybe 10 or 12 news directors I worked for, there was always, with the exception of one man, always a hint of misogyny, misogyny, sexual flirtation. You're still regarded as a woman, not as a journalist. Yeah. And so that was very difficult. So by the time I Uh, was in the the newsroom, which was where I started actually in television news as well, ended up more on the entertainment side as my career progressed, but early on, and then I returned to news as well later. But in the seventies, my first real television job was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at a big powerhouse station called KDKA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had like one woman who was an anchor with her dad, <laughs> which was an interesting, there was Patty and daddy show <laughs> Patty Burns and her dad. And um, wow, that's weird. That was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why she got the job. I mean, she ended up being doing a great job and um, very capable, but it was kind of the Patty and daddy show. And then everybody else was, we had a couple producers that were women and I was a lowly writer, the low, end of the totem pole in <laughs> yeah. the newsroom. I remember this boss, this executive producer was the person who directly managed me. You know, you'd be a executive producer, then you have the assistant di- news director, blah, blah, and up the, up the chain. But he's the one who most often worked with me. And I could tell that he had an attraction, but I did not return that. So I think he punished me for my lack of interest in him with saying the nastiest things he could. For example, I, you know, I often just wore jeans and a sweatshirt because I was working three to 1130 at night. I rode the bus and, you know, through some rough neighborhoods of Pittsburgh. And I just, you know, I didn't dress up. We were in a basement. I was writing on a typewriter for God's sake. So anyway, one day I decided, well, I'll just dress up a little bit today. And I put a skirt on and he said, I like that skirt on you. And I, and he didn't say quite that smarmy. Uh, Hey Penny, I like that skirt. And I said, Oh, thank you. He says, it makes your ass look great. I just never mind. Wait, wait, what? Uh, What? what? I just, I felt so belittled uh, because it was so smarmy the way he said it. Then another time, I um, was going to go out for dinner and my break with some people. So I wore a little dress and I had fixed my hair up, probably put more makeup on than normal. Yeah. So this is in 78, 78, 79. And, you know, there was nothing I could where I, I couldn't take that anywhere. Where do I take that? That's right. We were there. Were, we were powerless. Uh, if you were a woman in broadcasting or or a number of other businesses too, law, medicine. I can, you know, I have a lot of friends who face these same issues in other professions. So there was nowhere to turn. No, there was no sexual harassment. Right. There was no rules against sexual. There wasn't even the term sexual harassment back then, but you know, there was no, you know, it when it happens to you Yeah, and it feels, makes you feel awful. I remember there was a really great black photographer 
in the newsroom. I loved this guy. He was so incredible. He was kind of one of my buddies, tall guy, super handsome, super capable, amazing human being. And I went up to him and I said, Kenny, I said, you're not going to believe what Bob just said to me. Cause I didn't know I had to talk to somebody about it. And he goes, what did that asshole say to you now? <laughs> and I said, this and this, and he goes, he says, here's what you do. He says, the next time he comes up to you, he says, you hand him $2 and you say, shine my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I never that, forgot that. That reminds me of a story. One of the earliest, I think it was one of the first stories I ever did. They sent me to cover a press conference of the fire chief of Seattle, who was retiring after a luminous career. Mm -hmm. And I walked into a room of 45 radio and television reporters, and I was the only woman in the room. His name was Gordon Vickery. And this is a true story. And he walked over, he sees me, long blonde hair, young, holy woman. I don't know what I was wearing. And he walked over to me and he put his arm around me and slid his hand down my back and patted me on the ass. And I was stunned in front, in front of everybody I, in front of in front of everybody. So I reached around and I put my hand in his crotch and I squeezed <laughs> his balls as, as tightly as I could. I heard him. I mean, and he, he was, he was stunned. Oh, and I sure looked at him. I looked at him and I said, Mr. Vickery, don't you ever touch me again? Wow the gaping mouths on the faces of these other radio and television and newspaper people was incredible. Oh, what a moment. And, and it was a moment. And he came over Gordon after it was done, we became friends and he apologized. Good. And that was a moment when I just reacted. I didn't think about it. If I thought about it, I, well, I probably would have done it anyway. Yep, that's Julie Blacklow for you right there. You know, there was no one to go to. You had to, you had to take care of yourself. Yeah, no, I had this psych psychopath manager in uh, Wichita, Kansas. And this was the kind of guy who would walk down the hall and he would say, hi, Penny, how you doing today? Like normal. And I go, oh, I'm fine. Nice to see you, Ron. And then the next day he'd walk by and he would he'd go, hi, Ron, how you doing? didn't even acknowledge you like you, you were invisible it was the weirdest oh. thing and you never knew what kind of day yeah passive aggressive type oh my favorite my, <laughs> the most abhorrent personality trait ever i had asked for a tiny raise i was making probably a third a third of what my co-host on this talk sh new show was was making and i dared to ask for like a 10 percent raise which would have been about two thousand dollars you know i was probably making about twenty thousand dollars back then and they were really mad at me because they thought i was asking for an awful lot in the meantime i got a call to come to seattle to audition for evening magazine so i, I flew out and about a week later the folks at king decided i was their choice and they called me up and offered me the gig and so i said yes get me out of here <laughs> and uh and so the next day that was a thursday night on Friday morning, psychopath Ron he goes, after the show today, I want to, I want you to see you in my office. I said, okay. So I go in and he, I sit down he goes, I understand that you've been looking for another job. I said, yes. And he says, well, we don't like that. And we don't think you're you know, faithful to us and all this stuff. I've been there three years, mind you. I said, but you know, everybody in this size market is always looking for another job pretty much. And he said, well, I just want you to know that in two weeks time, you're out of this position. We're, we're firing you and we're going to replace you with Miss Kansas. <laughs> I said, okay. All right. And right. I, I leaned over and I said, you know, Ron, I would love to be able to stay here to next Friday. But I said, I accepted the job at King TV last night and I'm out of here in three days. <laughs> and I threw that Trump card on the table. And I am telling you, 
Julie, it was a moment in my life. Mm -hmm. Talk about a swing 180, you know, where he has all the power. I'm going to fire you, you nasty little girl for going off and looking for another job. And now his demeanor, first of all, his his jaw drops because he's lost all of his power. He lost his big sting of you're out of here and Miss Kansas is coming in. Slack John looking at me, he goes, oh, well, oh my gosh. Well, King, King TV, that's a great station. They are winning, you know, Peabody's and, you know, all these Emmys. And then I said, yes, yes, I know. He goes, could you take a tape with you when you go of mine? That's ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you didn't. No, I didn't. No. And, and, and we both ended up in Seattle at King, King TV. Yes, we did. And oh, there's another part of this story. I forgot about this. Yeah. So the news director, he was not the news director. The news director applied for a job at King TV like a year later. And Dorothy Bullock was still running. Oh, the first woman to own a television oh, station in the United woman. States. We could yeah. do a whole show on Dorothy Bullock yeah. and her legacy. So Dorothy Bullock calls me in and she goes, so who's this XYZ guy in Wichita? What do you think of him? I said, do you want the truth? And she goes, well, of course I want the truth. Why do you think I asked you in here? (laughs) He's an asshole. He hates women. And she goes, that's all I need to know. Thanks. And you know, he didn't get the job. So there was some sort of like full circle that came back there, but rarely it does. We had to take our own power. We had to, we had to take, and it's, and it's been a great trajectory, actually. I think things still need improvement, but they've gotten incredibly better for we women. We have sexual harassment rules and laws yes. and, and, the, and, and, and the, departments. And, and that- the Me Too movement, which we should save for another podcast. Yes. I think it's gone a little overboard. We'll save that discussion for later. But yes, now there are human resources departments. Now there is the phrase sexual harassment and there are more and more women managers now. Yes. So I'm not sure that's always better, but it's improving. Well, at least if you have a female uh, boss, that's harassing you. It's usually in a different <laughs> way than sexually. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. So anyway, managed by men. What, what yeah. stories we can tell Julia, we've, we survived it yeah. and did that. We've had a lot of great male managers too, along the way. So, and yet you've had some great male mentors as I have, I have as well. And we have a great male producer. Yes, we do. <laughs> Clem Daniels. We love Clem Daniels. Yeah, we do. The only man we let manage us that's now. Exactly. It, to a degree. <laughs> Well, this has certainly been an interesting discussion and one we could fill up uh, many podcasts about, but we, you know, we really should mention that we have had some great male managers, some great men who have mentored us. So we're not just trying to totally male bash, but you know, it was a trying well, wait time. Wait a minute. I, I am a little bit. I've never, <laughs> I had one good male manager, but go all ahead. Right. Well, I'm trying not to have all of our wonderful male viewers just hate on us right now. I <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I don't care. <laughs> well, we're a couple of dusty muffins and we want to thank you for listening. Be sure to tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your dogs, your cats, your bosses, yeah. your bosses. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got lots more things to talk about and we promise we're not going to be boring. <laughs> we promise. Yes. Find a way to be extra kind today, maybe to a stranger. It's easy to be kind to people we love. Find a stranger to smile at or say hello to. That can mean a lot. Bye for now. And we can't end the show without tipping our hats to production director Clem Daniels. Thanks so much, Clem. 